my grandchildren uh, visit me in my office before Sunday school starts when they get here early, and it's always uh, interesting. They um, do what they call craft time in there, and when they first started doing it, when, church, when the service was getting ready to start, we couldn't find them. They were in my office still doing craft time. Well, last week, Emery comes running into my office, and she said, Papa, what is the best time to go to the dentist? I wasn't sure if, um, you know, something had happened or, or what, and I gave it a little bit of thought because, you know, as their Papa, I always like to give them an answer. I had to admit, I said, I really don't have an answer. She said, 2.30. And she smiled at me with that, with that grin that Emery has where her eyes sparkle. And, and now she has that smile that uh, there's about, I think, half a dozen teeth or so missing, um, you know, as, as, she's, as she's growing. And um, she's six years old. I love this girl's exuberant joy. Uh, that's one of the things I've, I've told Jess before. I love this kid's joy. She is now not that she doesn't have her moments because you know she's had one or two over her six years and but one of the things that is real consistent with her is this whole this whole uh, joy. Most of her moments are ones of joy, and she has the, the, you know that smile and just uh, you walk somewhere with her whenever on Wednesday nights or any time you know we're walking across a parking lot with her. She usually breaks into skipping. And uh, I just love to see kids skip because to me it kind of just, uh, they're really expressing some joy, some happiness, and it's just kind of a, a, a neat thing to see. If you're a little down, Emery's the one you want to have hanging around you because her joy is contagious and it's just a great thing. As we continue looking through our Advent series, we're looking at contagious joy. Uh, as we do that. And we're going to look at several of the main participants in the, uh, what we refer to as the, as the uh, Christmas story, but the biblical account of Jesus' birth. We're going to look at several of, this, of the uh, main participants in there, you know, from the biblical account. So that, just in case you're wondering, that leaves out the little drummer boy. Uh, you know, he is, he is and, and it also leaves out Frederick the Camel. Um, you know, and, and, and uh, some of these others. Let's pray, and we're going to turn to our passage for this morning. Father, what a gracious God you are to give us uh, your Son and to make available to us the reality of joy. I feel like I grasp so little of it so many times. And I thank you for people like Emery who just exude this joy of life and living and being. Lord, lead us and teach us from your word today that we might find ourselves choosing joy. That we might, that we might get this contagious joy that comes from you, really. Uh, the only source. Now, as we're gathered together here, Father, we know... And we have to admit, some of us are not joyful. We don't find this time of year joyful. Now, this is a struggle for many. 
And Father, some of them, it has nothing to do with the time of year. It just has to do with the circumstances in which they find themselves. So we are gathered here, really. We are gathered as a needy people. That's why we come. We come because we realize our need for you and our dependence upon you. And, and Lord, we don't want to forget that. So I pray that you would minister to hearts here today. You know the challenges. You know the hurt. You know the struggles. You know all that's going on so much better than I could, even if I sat and talked to them. Because you know the pain of the heart. You know the struggle of the mind. You know the circumstances that we face. It's not too much for you when we ask you to address all of these areas and even more, even those that we don't know and we don't understand. Father, that you would um, touch with your mercy, your grace, your wisdom, your insight, and your joy. That it would be real. Not just a mental thing, but Father, that it would be real, that we would be overtaken by your joy in our hearts, not just now, not just today. We want it to be a regular thing in our lives. So guide us again through your word, your truth, and the working of your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to start in Luke chapter 1, and actually I'm going to read, it's going to end up being a long passage, so keep your Bible open. I'm going to read a bit uh, up through 26 through 38, and I'm going to pause and just for a little bit. Whoa, and there's some volume. I don't know what happened, but it must have been spiritual. The, um, um, so hang on, you know, and keep your Bible open as we do that. Verse 26, drop down, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Um, what comes before this? is uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and their encounter as they find out about John, John the Baptist coming. Uh, so here in verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, that would be the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy that they had just been talking about previous to this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and will give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. We were just singing that, isn't it cool? Over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I've not been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative, Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Now we're going to pause for just a minute, but I am going to pick up again in, in verse 39 in just a couple minutes here. Now Mary is told that she would conceive 
a baby here by the work of the Spirit. And after she is told that, a lot happens, and a lot happens. Uh, some of it's recorded in the Scripture, some of it is not. Uh, for example, we are not told the reaction of Mary's parents. Now, be careful, you know, when you speculate about things that aren't in Scripture. I mean, I, I think this is a, a very logical thing, you know, that uh, her parents, you know, would, would have found out. And I'm imagining that it would have been uh, an adjustment period for her parents. It would have taken some time. Um, one of my sisters uh, had, a, had a child out of wedlock, and I remember when she came and told us, uh, told our family, you know, and his different siblings and my mom and stuff found out. And there was this adjustment, you know, there was an adjustment um, period that went on. I can kind of picture a little bit, you know, what, what some of what maybe went on in that home. We're not told, though. We're also not told the reaction of Mary's neighbors. Yeah, I, I can imagine she was shunned, that she was looked down upon. We'll get into that a little bit more here in a minute. But I, I imagine she was talked about, even to her face. Uh, when, I remember when um, my sister had told my mom before and, and I came home. And I, I remember, I, I, got, I still have this picture in my mind. I walked into the kitchen and, um, you know, my sister told me that she was, you know, she was expecting. And... Um, you know, I don't. It must have been an expression on my face or something. And she said something to the effect of, uh, "Well, it happens, you know." And my immediate reply to her was, "Not in our family." I would never respond that way now. You know, I would never respond that way now. But I'm sure that when. Mary found out she was expecting and had to face the neighbors that some people said some very rude things even to her face. It's, you know, we, for a wide variety of reasons, you know, a child out of wedlock simply was not accepted in their society. Not in our neighborhood. No, not here. But we are told that her fiancé, Joseph, uh, did not receive the news very well, and he, which again would be understandable, and he began to at least consider actions to officially end their marriage proceedings. Now, again, we're going to get into that in just a minute. Uh, but he, marriage was much more involved, uh, not just ceremony, dealings, feasting and everything than it is for us. And he began to uh, bring those bring those things to an end here. Now the angel's words motivated Mary to go and visit her cousin Elizabeth. That's what we're going to pick up in verse thirty-nine. And it really, it's no wonder that Mary uh, went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. It would simply be good just to get out of town. Join me there. Uh, verse thirty-nine says, "In those days, Mary sent out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house." And greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, You are most blessed of women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. She who has believed is blessed because what was spoken to her by the Lord will be fulfilled. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Now I'm going to stop there, and again, that's going to be troubling for some of you because it's the middle of a sentence. It, it, it'll be okay. You know, it'll be okay. Uh, put a pencil mark there and, and, and read it later. Uh, you know, this is sometimes called a Magnificat. It's called Mary's, Mary's uh, hymn of praise, uh, certainly words of praise. But, you know, in this, in these, this short passage we read, secondly here, we see at least three reactions of joy. I would say contagious joy. Uh, simply, some of them simply from being with each other and particularly from being in the presence of Jesus. And you see, that's where, that's often where contagious joy can come from, simply from being in the presence of Jesus. You will notice that, that the situation did not change. It didn't change. First, you have the yet-to-be-born John the Baptist, it says, who leapt in his mother's womb when Mary's voice was heard. And through the leading of the Holy Spirit here, Elizabeth says, that John leapt for joy. She didn't call him John at that point. She said the baby. But that's what was going on. Then Elizabeth very verbally responds to Mary, not with words of condemnation, but with a, with a greeting expressing her joy that Mary has come to see her. You know, and she's, she's just thrilled that Mary came to see her. There is something, there is something special about the joy of a baby coming. You know, there's just something special about that. Now, here are two ladies who are expecting their first child. It's always interesting, you know, to hear, uh, just to sit there and listen to the conversation between, you know, women as they're expecting it. You know, for for a while we had, you know, all all three of them were pregnant at uh, them, you know, my daughter-in-law, my two daughters, you know, and just to hear the conversations and stuff and, and the joy, that expectation, a way of knowing, you know, of knowing, you know, that that this this life is coming. And here you have these ladies doing that. Elizabeth made a choice here, and she chose to embrace joy, and it was contagious joy. You see, she lived in the same society that had the same standards of those that would have been condemning Mary, and yet she chose not to. She chose joy instead. And then after Elizabeth expresses her joy to Mary, did you notice then Mary responds with praise, even though she was in a very difficult position. She was in an extremely difficult position. She lived in a society that at best shunned her and at worst stoned her for this. You'll recall the woman who was caught in the, in the act of adultery and it wasn't, it, well, the whole point was sex outside of marriage there for them. That's, that was the whole point. And you'll remember when, they, when she was brought before Jesus and what they said. It says, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. And Joseph was breaking off their marriage. Now we're told that he was doing it quietly, and we surmise it's because he didn't want this to happen to Mary. We're not told why he did it quietly. But that's one of our assumptions. I think it's, you know, it's, it's a decent assumption at least. And Mary would have been seen here as Joseph then is breaking off this relationship with her because he knew this child was not his child. And Mary would be seen now as a loose woman. 
she would be seen as, as used goods, if you will, very undesirable in their society. There wasn't much hope for a woman in their society who had a child out of wedlock, those who weren't stoned. And, and so there wasn't much hope there. Yet Mary chose to embrace joy. She chose to praise God. You see, because embracing contagious joy is independent of our circumstance. It's independent of our circumstance. We are affected by our circumstance. I am not saying our circumstances don't affect us. They do, and they should. They should affect you. you, know, you it, it's tough, it's tough to, to lose someone we love. It's tough to see someone we love suffer. It's hard when you are the one who is, who is being attacked and oppressed, and it's hard not to, not to be down. So we are affected by our circumstance. But here's what I'm telling you in this, is, is that we are not doomed to our circumstance. Do you understand that? We are not doomed to our circumstance. Bad things happen. That does not necessarily mean that you are a bad person. You may have made some bad choices. That does not mean that you cannot, that you cannot still come to God for forgiveness and for reconciliation. That does not mean that you cannot have a relationship with God still. We are not doomed to our circumstance. Joseph shows us that very well. In, in Matthew chapter 1, uh, I'm putting it on the screen so you didn't have to keep flipping around. It says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, who didn't know by the Holy Spirit, well, he, you know, Mary may have told him that, but that was pretty hard to grasp. Uh, so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because uh, what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Walk through this in Joseph's shoes for just a little bit. Joseph was planning on marrying Mary, a joyful situation. I remember the first time Jenny and I talked seriously about being married, and and I, th this is this is easy to believe. I just had a smile on my face that wouldn't go away, you know. And and I, I understand that's very easy for you to grasp, uh, you know. And I, I remember we were sitting in in the kitchen, you know, at at the home she grew up in, and we were discussing this. And it was just just because that joy was there. This was the woman, okay, teenager, that I wanted to be with, you know, for the rest of my life. You know, and the one that I wanted to spend time with, you know, and, and there's, you know, there's that joy. So you have, you know, you have this whole picture here. Joseph is planning on marrying Mary, a very joyful situation. While they're living in through that joyful situation, Mary comes to him with news, news that she's expecting a baby. 
and he knew it wasn't his. And this was just simply too much for Joseph to handle. And he calls off the wedding. We can understand this. So he's going from this this place of joy down to the depths of gut-wrenching, gut-heaving distress. And then an angel comes and visits him. It says in a dream, it says, but the angels are... And, and then Joseph pursues marriage to Mary again. The situation hasn't changed. The situation hasn't changed at all. Joseph here simply chose to embrace joy again. You see, we can choose joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. We can choose joy. Joy connects us to God in any and every circumstance. Joy still is, it, it connects us to God in the midst of these troubling circumstances. Joseph's situation didn't change. Mary's situation didn't change. What changed is that they chose joy in the midst of these difficult circumstances. Now, in the previous two weeks as we've been going and looking at different aspects of, of the, this whole birth scenario of Christ and what came after, um, we looked a little bit at Simeon. We looked a little bit at the shepherds. Uh, Simeon, if you recall, he was guided. He was guided right, right to you know right to Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. He was guided by the Spirit in the temple, which was crowded, which was a large place, and had many options for him and many courts for him to go into. And he was in the proper court. I, I shared with you. Had I been looking for the Messiah, I would have been going into the court closest to the Holy of Holies if I'm looking for the Messiah. Here he was in the one that was not furthest because the court of the Gentiles would have been outside of this, but he was going, he, you know, in the court, he was led right there in the court of the women to where Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were. And Simeon embraced joy as he encountered Jesus, as he encountered the Messiah. All of those years, it says, that he had been waiting for. There was also a prophetess, Anna. We hadn't looked at her yet. He, you know, she encountered Jesus in the temple as well. In Luke chapter 2, it says, There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now we would see, we, as you look at this, you know, we would say, really, Anna had a lot of reasons not to be joyful. Look at what it says. She had her husband only seven years before he died. Not very long, really. You know, not very long at all. Uh, she spent the majority of her life, it appears, as a widow, not a good situation in their society. You know, I mean, it, it seems that she probably didn't have children. We're not told at all. But even if she did, I was thinking about this, even if she did have children, the oldest would have been just over six years old at the time of her husband's death if he died after seven years. Children really would have been more work. It wouldn't have made the, the it wouldn't have lightened her load. It would have made it harder for her as a widow. Single parenting is a very tough road. It is. 
It is. I was just, I mentioned to Caleb this morning, you know, Lauren's working and, and uh, you know, so he's got the three kids. And uh, I remember when Jenny would go away for the weekend and, you know, I had charge of the kids uh, and, and uh, I didn't like it. I didn't sign up for the single parenting stuff. Uh, we're doing this together. You know, it's the two of us. I didn't like this whole single parenting thing. I was raised by a single mother. You know, I was raised by my mom alone. One of five kids. Five kids. I just, I think about that. I can't imagine. You know, I mean, I can remember certainly some of the things, but now I realize even more of what she went through, you know, as a single parent. Because there was never anybody to give her a break. You know, there was there was no one to step in when... Okay, it was usually more than one of the five of us who were acting like a fool. Um, you know, uh, sometimes she get the whole benefit of, of, you know, several of us at once. Uh, but it's single parenting, it, it's just tough. It's a very tough road. And, you know, we're not told if she had kids or not, but any society, any, any meaningful employment for her in that society, that society was very male-centric. Uh, you know, we can say, well, that's not right. Get off your political stuff because this has nothing to do with, you know, what's right or not. This has to do with the reality of the society they lived in, which was very male-centric, and so was employment male-centric. So not only as a widow was she, was she in a tough spot, just as a woman. It was hard enough in their society for a man to earn a living, much less a, a woman and a widow who didn't have someone to come alongside her. Now, her response, though, to seeing Jesus was to thank God and then to tell others about Jesus. There's a response of joy for you. It's a natural thing to tell others about interesting or fascinating people you meet. You know, it's a natural thing to tell others about that. You know, when you meet someone and you're just a bit impressed by them, for whatever reason, you know, maybe because they walked on the moon, that would be impressive, wouldn't it? Um, you know, or, or, or did some great, or maybe it was just, you know, the, you know, this clicked, you know, and and you tell, you begin to tell other people, I met this, you know, I met this person, and you know, we begin. It's a natural thing, and here she is, you know, she is doing that natural thing. You know, you know when you know when someone's attracted to another person because you know they 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 don't stop talking about them. It's interesting every once in a while to hear my grandsons begin talking about some of their classmates, and and they don't have to say much, and we know which ones they like, and which ones they don't, which ones they want to be around, and which ones they don't. You see, because that joy comes through just in in what they say and how they talk about them. This is what Elizabeth is is excuse me, what Anna is is doing here. Elizabeth did the same thing, but you know, it's what you see going on here. Uh, you know, this was also the response of the shepherds in Luke chapter two. Again, it says they, the shepherds, hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them. They reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, which is just what they had been told. Yeah, and they, it was just this joy came out of them. Now, you may have already picked up on the fact that all of these individuals that we looked at this morning have something in common. They all embraced contagious joy. 
But here's the thing I noticed as I was looking at all of them. They all embraced contagious joy because they embraced and believed God's word. Mary, she said, I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. I don't understand this, and I don't understand the situation. I, you know, I, I don't really get all that's going on. This just seems like an impossible thing to me. But you know what? May it be done to me according to your word. Elizabeth, you know, as she who is believe, as she's saying, she who is believed is blessed because of what was spoken to her by the Lord will be fulfilled. Elizabeth joined Mary in believing what God had said. Joseph, you know, it says that when Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He did according to what God had communicated to him. Uh, Simeon, it says, now, master, you can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised, according to your word. Luke, you know, and with Anna there in Luke chapter 2, it says she did not leave the temple complex serving God night and day with fasting and prayers, talking to God, communicating with God, hearing from God, and she spent that time there. The shepherds, it says when the angels left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem, see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. All of these people, all of these individuals chose to embrace contagious joy the same way we can. We can embrace contagious joy by choosing to listen to and believe God against the odds of time and circumstance and then act on what God has said. You embrace contagious joy by embracing God and His Word in your heart and in your living. Choose joy. Choose God. Choose His Word. Choose to live His Word. Choose joy. No matter the circumstance.